welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Welcome back, everyone, to Debating Metal. I am Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. This week, it's episode 34, and we're taking on the Viking warriors themselves, Amon Amarth, with Surter Rising versus Deceiver of the Gods, and we're going to break them down to see which one we think is better. Along with our debate, Kenneth has more rusty metal, and I've got a new online pick of the week for you. We're also picking the best of the best with this week's Big Four Amon Amarth songs, so be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear which songs made the list. If you missed last week, we picked our Big Four Scorpion songs, so make sure to click subscribe and download the episode to check that out. Also, be sure to go to our Instagram at Debating Metal and leave a comment about your Big Four every week. But before we begin, let's talk about last week and episode 33. Last week, it was the Scorpions, Love Drive versus Blackout. We had a lot to say about the songs and the albums, so to hear what we said, download or stream the episode on all the major podcast platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and now we're on Amazon Music. So do me a favor, click on that button that says subscribe or follow, and our newest episode will be ready for you on your favorite device every Friday. And while you're at it, rate us or leave a review. We also want to read your opinions on these and any of our other topics. So if you agree with us or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now it's time for Rusty Metal. Kenneth, what's your pick this week? All right, this week we're going to one of the big four guys. We're going with Anthrax and the 30th anniversary reissue of persistence of time i can't believe it's been 30 years it's just that just boggles my mind every time i see things like this um persistence of time came out in 1990 came out on megaforce records distributed by island records and it was produced by mark dodson and anthrax it was recorded during a real tumultuous time for the band they had a structure fire where they did their rehearsals uh in yonkers new york uh, which is where they were based at at the time and they lost over $100,000 worth of gear and equipment. And that just devastated the band. Um, so it reflected on the album in, in a weird kind of way. The album ended up being one of Anthrax's most mature releases. And it was very dark. It was very moody and very contemplative. The album contains a lot of staples for the band. Um, and they... they took out a lot of those staples now because they're playing so much from Among the Living. But at the time, I mean, for, for much of the 80, uh, excuse me, for much of the 90s, from that point on, even when they had John as a singer, songs like Belly of the Beast, In My World, and of course, the Joe Jackson cover, Got the Time, those songs were in their sets all the time. Uh, now it's mostly just Got the Time. Uh, and got the time just it showcases Frankie Bellow's incredible bass playing. So the uh, anniversary edition uh, just was recently released. It has a new cover, which is uh, reflective of the way Charlie wanted the original cover to look like, which 
kind of like a melting face sort of, um, was it a Picasso style painting that he wanted it to look really weird. And so he, he finally got the cover he wanted as opposed to the one that originally came out. Two CD or one DVD or a four LP deluxe edition. Get it. You won't be disappointed. Okay. So it's basically the same image as the original, but melted. Kind of, kind of, yeah, melted like a Salvador Dali. That's what it is. I'm sorry. Not Picasso. Fuck. Salvador Dali. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for this week's online pick of the week, I've picked an artist that I found on YouTube about a week ago. Her name is Alonia Vargasova. Uh, she's a guitarist who plays a lot of original music on YouTube. Uh, she's actually released a few tracks that I was able to find on Amazon. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with what I've heard so far. She released a track called Hypernova Explosion Shockwave. It's very technical. I enjoyed it a lot. If you're interested in finding her, she is on, like I said, YouTube. Uh, she's got about 70,000 subscribers, so kind of built a, a, a nice little fan base there. But even then, that's, that's you know, small potatoes next to a lot of others. So check her out on YouTube. It's Alonia, which is A-L-Y-O-N-A, Vargasova, V-A-R-G-A-S-O-V-A. And uh, check out those tracks I mentioned, and uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Cool. I will definitely check that out. I like all your YouTube channel picks. They're really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said before, it's a new uh, way of doing things with music. And the, a lot of these people are self-produced. They're, they're putting out their own music, which is definitely possible to, with uh, new technology, new applications on music. On, uh, computers so there's there's something to be said for musicians playing like real instruments you know in the studio which is always going to be better but a lot of these guys are getting their start you know playing self-produced music where they're you know using uh, robotic drum tracks etc and uh there's that's always a good thing because a lot of these guys like ola uh ola england that i mentioned a couple weeks ago uh he kind of got his start through the internet as well and then joined the haunted and and plays with other bands so anytime you can support these musicians that are kind of self-publishing uh, it's a it's a uh, good experience yes definitely i mean support them because basically especially right now uh, that's pretty much how everybody's getting you know their their stuff and their ideas and their music out there because no one's touring uh, slowly, it's coming back, and there's been some, you know, those driving shows. But man, uh, there's nothing like the the up close personal concert experience. And so, with these guys not being able to play concerts, they got to come across somehow. And that uh, the YouTube is one of the best uh, ways of getting their info out there. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. That brings us to this week's main topic, and it is Amon Amarth, the Viking metal kings themselves. And we're taking on Searcher Rising versus Deceiver of the Gods. I am a new fan to Amon Amarth. I know you, Chris, have been a fan of theirs for a while. Watching that metal show with Don Jameson and Jim Florentine and Eddie Trunk, Don especially used to talk about Amon Amarth all the time. And so I, I, the first time I tried it, I just uh, couldn't, I just couldn't do it. But now you know 
after meeting you and, and all sorts of cool stuff, I've been able to absorb it a little bit better and understand it more. So it, it's, it's a lot cooler to me now. <laughs> yeah, I've been a fan of them since 2001 when The Crusher came out. Uh, that was the first album I got my hands on. And they've come a long way since then. Added a lot more melodic elements to the music. Uh, early on, it was is a lot of, you know, there were some similarities to, to black metal. It was the early stages of what I guess a lot of bands will now call Viking metal. But it was it was melodic death metal. That's what we knew it as then. So different, different approach than a lot of other bands. They're not heavy, heavy with, uh, you know, guitars with... Uh, um, arpeggios or anything like that these guys are just straightforward they're telling a story they're heavy and they're just a lot of fun to listen to um i you know you're, you're never going to hear any of these guys winning like guitar awards for being the, the greatest of all time or anything like that unless they're they're just not incorporating that in the music but what you're getting here is just a fun experience you're really in the story when you listen to the lyrics you're really engaged in the vibe of the music because it feels like you're in the middle of a war. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. But let me tell you something. I, I have to kind of disagree a little bit with what your assessment of the two guitar players. And I'm not, and I know you're not trying to short sell them, but I really think that they're extremely talented. It may not come across in the songs so much, but there's just things that they do that are just, amazing to me and it's not like oh my god i never heard that before but there's just things that they do that are different especially the way they structure songs the way they structure their solos and things like that i mean yeah they're not necessarily ingve scenes of the world but they're extremely good guitar players very formidable and there's you know there's no taking that away from them. they're great songwriters and so they i mean they play their asses off on these albums let me tell you Oh, they do, and I, and I'm I'm not shortchanging them as being great musicians. I, what I'm getting at is that they're not like they're not the soloists that you're you're used to. They're not a Joe Satriani or right. you know some of these other musicians or other bands that really focus on guitar solos all the time. There is there's really great melodic elements to to what you're hearing with Amonomarth, but it's not focused on lead guitar work. Right. It's focused on rhythm and telling a story. Exactly, and even then, the guitar the the guitar solos are pretty damn good. Oh yeah, there's some really good ones. Yeah. All right, so Search Rising came out in 2011. The band pretty much when they signed their major record label, and if you want to look at it as a major record label, Metal Blades is an indie, but it's probably you know like along with Roadrunner. Uh, and along with Nuclear Blast, they're pretty much the, the biggest of the indies out there. So they've been with Metal Blade ever since their uh, first regular release. They had some demos that came out, from what I understand, and then their first album was from Metal Blade on, wasn't it? Mm. If, if not the first, it was definitely their second one. Yeah, the, fir- the first one was, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so they've been with Metal Blade this whole time. So it's, I mean, that's, that's something to be said, too, because... You know them being all the way in in Sweden and the metal blade being in, out in California, it's it's a, a lot to deal with, I guess you can say. The it's it's a, a great relationship for both because you know not many bands of that ilk is going to stick around with metal blade for that long, and so they've got a really good relationship with them. 
So the album was produced by uh, Jen, uh, Jens Bogren, uh, and it was recorded at Fascination Street Studios in Orebro, Sweden, I think is how you pronounce it. So let's get right to it. First song, War of the Gods. What do we got? All right, so this is a song about the very first war in Norse mythology. So there's the Acer and the Vanner War, and the, this is kind of like the, the evolution of what will become Norse mythology. A lot of the concepts here are about war and battle and dying in glory. And that's kind of the, the, the hallmark of that, that, you know, the stories that are told within these albums. If you've ever experienced um, any, any Norse mythology storytelling, it's, it's pretty epic from, from beginning to end. Like even just going to the store and getting a sandwich would be epic in this time period. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of concepts you'll see kind of overlap with Marvel's Thor. Uh, that's because those stories are pretty much lifted from Norse mythology. So if you're into that kind of stuff, this will be really right up your alley. So this this song, it's a really great opening track. It sets the stage for everything that's going to happen in here. You're getting an idea of where we're going. And pretty soon, you're going to be introduced to the concept of what the album is, which is Surtur Rising. You're getting a, a slow build through the first few tracks until that point. But this is the song that really sets the stage. And it is just, you know, a, a classic opening track. This song is blistering from from the get go. I mean, it gives you maybe like three to five seconds where you think it's going to be this introduction to the song, almost like an electric eye for a, a or what's what's the um, Hellion for for Judas Priest's electric eye, mm-hmm. but it, it 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 cuts off after like five seconds and just goes straight for the throat. I love oh, yeah. it. It's a killer riff. I love the song. What I like about the the, the chorus of this song is that. The chorus itself is is a detailed story that's part of the big story, and it's really cool how how that how that chorus works. I, I mean, you got to hear it to to understand, but it's a really cool chorus. Um, the whole song is an excellent concept. I, I love it. I mean, this is a great song. Um, the solo on this, the solo work on this is great, and what you're gonna get from this song, and if if, you, if you're not familiar with the Monomarth. What you're going to find out immediately with this first song is how they incorporate harmonies constantly in all their songs. And that is that is a tribute to Olavi Mikkonen, I think is, is how you say his name, and Johan Soderberg. Those two guys, those two guitar players, I mean, the way they they play back and forth with each other on the uh, on the guitar solos and the way they they, they just harmonize with each other, it's... It's great to hear. It's amazing to hear all the time throughout the entire albums, just throughout the, all the music that they do. Um, so that's why I was saying that they're, they're really a very formidable guitar duo. Yeah, for sure. Um, and th- these are things that they kind of introduced during Twilight of the Thunder God, the previous album. This feels like a continuation from that, but it's quite the evolution for the band. I don't, I don't really know how the fans reacted to the the change in their style i've i've never talked to anyone because i've i've met quite a few fans of the band i've never talked to anyone that did not like the changes that they made because they stayed true to their style while introducing new concept so it's it's you know a lot of times anytime a band does something 
a little different and tries experimenting. People are like, they sold out. This was never the reaction that I've heard to this album. So I completely agree with your assessment there. Cool. All right, second song is Tax Taunt, Loki's Treachery Part 2. And there was obviously a reference to Loki's Treachery Part 1 in a couple albums earlier. But this story is different. This is the story of Tech, who is presumed to be Loki in disguise, and who refuses to weep for the slain Balder, thus forcing Balder to remain in hell. And you can take the story from there. Well, I mean, that's that's the gist of it. I mean, Balder was... A lot of times these, these gods, when they, they die, they don't really truly die. They're, they're taken to another one of the, the nine realms. So Balder is given the chance to come back to the, the living realm and Loki does not want him to return using, you know, every trick up his sleeve and chooses not to bring him back. What's great about the music here is you're, this is one of the songs that really features their tremolo picking um, that just defines kind of the, the way that they sound. Uh, it's a slower melody, but because of the tremolo picking, it, it, it keeps it exciting. It doesn't. It never leaves you bored with the with the tones of the music. Um, it really creates a sense of the buildup that's coming with the story, and I I just love this track. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool track. A very melodic riff. I I, I like the riff on this song. Um, it's a it's a very consistent song. There's there's not a lot of uh, change throughout the song, so it it kind of st- steady all the way through. But I I got one beef with the song. With this song and another song that's on Deceiver of the Gods, what's with the fade out? You know, why, why, why is a metal band fading out? You know, this isn't you know Tops of the Pops. You know, I, I don't get that. You know, <laughs> I'm not on board with metal songs fading out. <laughs> that's my I biggest criticism. Yeah, it's it's a different choice. I I kind of agree with you. Um, yeah, I guess I just never really thought about it. No, it, it's 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 not a big deal. It's just it's just funny because you don't typically hear metal songs fade out. I mean, one I can know off the top of my head is I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Escape from Metallica fades out, and mm-hmm. that was always kind of like, why is that song fading out? But they just keep repeating the chorus over and over and over, and over again. That's that's when you realize you, you just never could figure out the end of the song and you just keep going and you tell the producer just <laughs> fade that yeah. puppy out you know <laughs> we don't know how to end it fade it out yeah right okay so next up is destroyer of the universe now i really like this song i think it's a really cool song the guitar patterns the so the thing i like most about this song is the guitar patterns in between the lines of the verse are all different so there's you know you got four lines of the verse and in between, they have like a little guitar lick because the main riff is, is just like a chug. And then, you know, when he stops singing, there's this little tiny lick that the, that the guitar players play. All four are different. And they repeat with each verse, but, the, but each line, all four are different. I think that's the coolest thing. I, I noticed it almost like instantaneously. I'm like, he's not playing the same lick. And I'm like, that's so cool. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's why I was I was, you know, uh, highlighting their their songwriting abilities and their, and and just the way that they put these songs together. It's really fascinating to to listen to. 
Yeah, and as far as like the story of the song, this is where you're introduced to Surtur, who is one of the fire giants. Um, mm-hmm. He's igniting the world with his sword of flame. It's a really epic song. It's fast-paced, brutal, and it it fits the the the, the character so well. So it's just everything that you said. Yes, a hundred percent. Cool. All right. So song number four, "Slaves of Fear." Uh, I love the opening to this song. Uh, the, the, I the, love it's it. Super cool. Super cool song. What what I find interesting about this and i actually had i actually i was listening to it on my itunes and it was you know it's one of my downloads and i heard this when at the song ends i hear like like scratching from a record and i'm like is did did they record this on a record and and and, you know i downloaded the wrong mp3 or something like that (laughs) and i went on i went on spotify to listen to it and damn it if it doesn't open and close with the same sound of a record playing. And I'm like, okay, so it's supposed to be that way. That's fine. Okay, cool. I, th- I find that to be really cool. You know, it, it, it kind of gives it something, some a different ambience to it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, this is not the only album from a... From, there's, like, there's a time period where there was a lot of these... Uh, uh, melodic death metal bands that were using that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it being in you know multiple bands, but this I, it, it fits really well in the song. It's it's great. Um, the song is kind of about religion when it's through, kind of through the eyes of the pagans. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're familiar with the that part of the the world, uh, Christianity kind of invaded that part of the world and and you know, made its presence known and, and the people of that, that part of the country or part of, I'm sorry, that part of the world didn't really care for that idea because all the people were about fulfilling their, their destiny in a way. The idea is that you have only so much life when you're born into the world, the all father has already woven your skin for life. And so whatever you do with that time is up to you. But at the same time, would you rather live a life of glory in that time or would you rather hide under a rock? So that's kind of the mindset of the, the Vikings and the people of that part of the world. And when you're trying to be constricted into rules that are, that are being, you know, forced upon you of, of Christianity, they didn't take it too well. And so it's about opening your mind and not not being manipulated by outside forces, but you know becoming your greatest self and not being used as a tool. It's it's pretty well written lyrics. Oh, I, I I immediately got that. I mean, I wrote down on my notes that this is an anti-religion song, and I put down you know while Christianity is widely accepted in the Nordic region now, um, there are still many people in that area who still hold contempt for it. And, you know, the basis of, for almost every black metal band in the area, and even some death metal bands, is the anti-Christianity because they felt it was forced upon them. And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I, I caught that right away. It was, it was pretty, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a tinge to try and keep it into the, into the Viking age, but it, it still, it all wraps into the same thing. Because even back then, it was being, it was, you know, as, as the Viking age kind of ended, the people that were living in that area were were still 
their pagan religion, if you want to call it that, was still prevalent for them. And then for these people, you know, Christians to come in and basically just tell them that they're wrong and they're heathens and they're barbaric and all that stuff. Nah, they didn't take kindly to it. And I mean, obviously over the years, it's, you know, it's changed, but there's still a small group of people that hold some serious contempt for that. Oh, yeah. But the song uh, is awesome. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with the concept of keeping your mind open. I, I don't feel like it's an anti-religion song in the sense of denigrating religion. It's about making sure not to just be a tool and and be aware and open-minded. Correct. All right. So now we get to song number five, and that's Live Without Regrets. Uh, not regrets, but regrets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to me, that song is about the pride of Norsemen. Uh, it, it, it's a, it, it just, you know, basically Norsemen, you know, puffing their chest out and this is what I am and this is who I am. You know, that's the kind of song. And the song itself, I like. It's very steady, very consistent. But it, there's not a lot that stands out to make this a, a particularly special song, but it's a very good, solid song in that regards. Well, the song is about exactly what I was just describing, about the the amount of life you have mm-hmm. uh, being predetermined. This So I was referencing this song, actually, when I was talking about it. That's the, that's the general theme. Like I said, live with glory, die with glory, you know, get to Valhalla, you know, you get to reap the rewards and, and continue to fight and battle for the rest of your existence in death. So that's that's exactly what this is about. You know, proving that you you are a great warrior. Cool. All right. So song number six. Make sure I say this right. The Last Stand of Frey. I don't have a lot to say about this song. Um, I didn't get a chance to, to deeply read into the lyrics. Um it's a slower song. It plods along. It's steady. Nothing good, nothing bad about it, in my opinion. So if you have more to, to, to say, because obviously Frey is an important person in this in this story. Yeah, I mean, it. the two of the central figures in the Ragnarok were Freyr or Frey and uh, Surtur. And this is their battle. The, the final battle of Freyr before uh, or during the Ragnarok. Um, I, I agree with you. It's not, it's not one of the standout songs. It's not a bad song. I don't skip it when I listen to the album, um, which I always kind it's kind of a low threshold, but I always consider that like, if, if you can go through an album without skipping a track, it's a, it, you know, it's a fantastic album. Um, this is not a track I feel like I need to skip, but again, it's not one I ever seek out to listen to. And that's ba- basically the, the, the vibe of it. I, I, I'm always ready to get to the ne- next track, which is one of my favorites on the album. Right. What's funny about it is that I, I feel the same way. You know, it's one of these things that, you know, you just, you listen to the whole thing, but what, but the reason why I think that you, that no one wants to skip it or you don't skip it or I don't skip it is it, you kind of, it almost allows you to take a breather because there's so much going on throughout the whole <laughs> yes. album. I mean, it's yes. such a frenetic pace that, you know, you know, it goes up and down, and it's like, all right, I need to breathe here. Hold on a second. Let me listen to this song. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, that's a good thing because you're halfway through the album, which is about 50 minutes, 
and you don't feel like you've been there for 50 minutes. I mean, well, at that point, about 25, but you don't feel that way. The, the songs are exciting and, and fast paced, but there's ebbs and flows and it keeps you engaged Mm -hmm, for sure. All right. So song number seven for victory or death. And you, you just said now that's one of your favorite songs. Oh yeah. It's another fast paced tremolo heavy song. Uh, it's got a fantastic melody and it continues the theme of the last few tracks where it's talking about, you know, living life in glory, getting to the, the, uh, afterlife to fight more battles. I mean, it's, it's just a badass song. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, the pace picks up with this song again. Uh, really cool, nice harmony intro right before the vocals start. Uh, that's really cool. The main riff is awesome on this song. You know, and then again, harmony guitar leads all over the place. You know, this is a really cool song. I definitely enjoy it. All right. Song number eight, Wrath of the Norseman. If you listen to the first three or four seconds of this song and you didn't know anything about anybody or, or anything about Amana Marth, excuse me, the intro is, a, dare I say, a little nickelback like. But then it goes completely away and goes into a different direction, and you remember that it's a monomarth <laughs> that you're listening to. Yeah, so to me, uh, the way I look at the song, it's it's a song from the perspective of the victim of a Viking raid. It's a, that's exactly what it is. Uh, you hear the horror in the 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 voice of the character as he cries out that everyone's dead around him. I mean, it's it's pretty on the nose but uh at the same time it's well crafted it's a well told story so it's very engaging it's slow and heavy and horror feel filled as much horror as i had when you said it was nickelback like <laughs> well like it, it's it's almost elect it's really weird it's almost electronic the way it starts off it's just it's like i said first three or four seconds and then, you know, as soon as it hits the main riff, then it goes away and then you're like, that thought never entered your head. But it's, it's, you know, there are a couple of songs from Nickelback that are very, very similar. But again, <laughs> two different bands. <laughs> gotcha. I, I wouldn't know. I don't really listen to them. The most I've ever listened to Nickelback was the track that Chad Kroger sings on with uh, Steel Panther. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know... I mean, I tell you what, though, the funny thing is the guy, there's a, the guitar player and the drummer. So I believe the drummer is Chad's brother or the bass. No, the bass player is Chad's brother. It, the drummer used to be Chad's half brother. Um, but anyway, the guitar player in that band is like a death metal head. I mean, he's some serious. He's a thrash head. He, he loves really hardcore metal but well isn't isn't chad kroger into metal like that kind of stuff too? well they're all into metal um but like the guitar player is like some seriously like he he says he wants to do a slayer type nickelback album and he but he knows that that's never going to happen uh, but he would love to do it he would love to do a slayer cover in general but you know mm. they know that they can't do that it's just a completely that's not their shtick just like sort of like um what's his face from alter bridge um mark tremonti 
Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, he loves thrash. I mean, that's, you know, and I think, but if I'm not mistaken, Slayer's like his favorite band. So it tells you what, you know, that these guitar players, they, they make a living playing a certain way because that's what makes them money. And that's, you know, that's the way they write songs. But there's still, there's that other side of, of people that like, yeah, you know, I like this too, you know, and this is cool. For, for all the, the flack that Nickelback gets, they're not that bad. That's that's a story for another time. Back to Amon Amarth. <laughs> All right, so the, the next song, uh, number nine, A Beast Am I. Uh, now, I have that as the story of, how do you say, Fenrir? Fenrir. And his imprisonment due to the prophecies, and a res- as a result, he bit the hand off a tear to free himself, but in turn, by doing that, he got banished and now he longs for vengeance at the Battle of Ragnarok. Oh yeah, Fenrir is a uh, the the father of the wolf. I mean, he's a, he is a beast, and that's exactly what's in the title of the song. Tyr is a mighty warrior and sacrificed his hand to help seal this this beast away. So you get the vibe that that Fenrir is powerful, and this song exactly exemplifies this it's intense to the nth degree and i i love this track it gives you the understanding through the music not just the lyrics but through the music that this is a powerful character yeah and and so what's so cool about that is that the song is very quick paced so that power comes out in the in the music but then right at the 333 mark it it slows down it goes soft. It goes quiet. There's a bunch of clean guitar interludes, and it ends very peacefully. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool, you know, dichotomy of two different styles of music to 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 represent this beast of a, of a character. Yeah, it, I always interpret it as as the calm before the storm. You know, when you're when you're a that powerful and you're put away in a, in a prison, then you're left with nothing but time to com- contemplate on revenge and what you're going to do. And that's kind of the buildup that's taking into the next song, which is Doom Over Dead Man. It's it's the calm right before the storm of Ragnarok. Yeah, that's the, the album closer, uh, last song in the album. And it's a very steady, calm song. And then right about... Midway through the the song, it picks up the pace a little bit, and the way I see it, it's a it's a it's a it's a reflective song about the the life of of a of a Viking. It is, and and it's a, a conclusion to the basically the end of civilization when it when it comes to the the Norse gods. If, if you're familiar with Ragnarok, Ragnarok is the end of, of the world, what we would consider the apocalypse, but that it's the end of the existence of the Norse gods. So it's the end, and with all the fire and fury that came before, the, the destroyer of the universe, the, the, other, the other tracks that led to this, you're, we're kind of getting the aftermath. Yep, exactly. It's. I mean, it's. It's. It's a a perfect song to to end an album to end a story like that because it's like you know, 
you see the results of the battle or battles should I say that are throughout the whole album and the concept and then you get to the end and there's nothing to do but sit there and reflect and sit there and say you know this is where we've what we've gotten to and so it it, it ends the album in a really cool way mm-hmm. yeah well, I, I love I love how brutal from beginning to end this album is it's just it, it's assaulting in a good way um <laughs> But it just it just hits you so hard, and it keeps you engaged the whole time. And like I said earlier, there's lots of ebbs and flows. But I mean, th- this is a, a a nice steady conclusion to it that just really wraps up the album nicely. It it's just got a great pacing throughout the whole thing. Yes, for sure. Okay, so that brings us to Deceiver of the Gods, which came out two years later in 2013 also on Metal Blade Records. And it was produced by Andy Sneap. Now, Andy Sneap is famous for being with Accept, with Testament, and most recently, he is actually a member, a touring member of Judas Priest. Uh, produced their last album as well. Recorded in Backstage Productions in Derbyshire, England. And this album is is a completely different story, or stories, but... It's still just as brutal <laughs> from beginning to end, and it is just quite awesome. The first song is Deceiver of the Gods, and this is what I got to say about this song. I didn't get a chance to read most of the lyrics for a lot of these songs on, on, the, on this album just because I was running out of time, but my interpretation, well, not my interpretation, my review of the songs in general themselves, this song, the first thing you notice are the harmony guitars. Uh, that that start the song, and then everything kicks in. And the first thing that, the first thought that ev- came to my mind that that was evoked was a very cinematic song. It's a very epic track. It's like a movie, you know. And and one person online said that the song is about Loki and his hatred for Asgard. But listening, reading the lyrics, uh, while that may be true, to me, it's it's almost like a subtle shot at Christianity. To some degree, so you tell me what you think. Well, I mean, if you if you do read the lyrics, it is it is focused on introducing the character of Loki, who is going to be the central character of all all of this story here. He ha- he has such an influence in Norse mythology because he has he has powers that he's able to uh, fool and trick a lot of people into doing what he wants them to do. Uh, he, he has a, an interesting life because he is the, the brother, the blood brother of Thor, whereas his origins kind of pit, pit him against Thor. So it, as, as you go through his tale, you learn that he himself was manipulated and will never be manipulated again. And that's, his, that's kind of what drives him is to prove one, one prove himself and that he is better than anyone and to never be manipulated and always be the guy that's on top and i can see what you're saying like there are elements that you know a, a writer doesn't necessarily have to stick to one thing they can have veiled uh storytelling which is seemingly a lost art and i tend to gripe about it a lot when it comes to movies etc where i don't feel like writers are 
are uh, doing that. They're, they, they, there's no subtlety left in the world. So to, to hear songs like this that do have a subtle, maybe a second meaning, that is, that is something that's, that's very uh, indicative of what Johan does with his writing. He's, he's a, a, an excellent storyteller. Absolutely. I, I mean, just just being able to come up with all this stuff. I mean, obviously, he's he's very well versed in Norse mythology. There's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt. Um, and they're one of the first bands. I know that, that Bathory did it. Uh, I believe Enslaved was the other band that did it. But f- these guys have made almost their entire career based on that. And that's, that's really a cool thing, especially for, for Johan having or being the main songwriters or I should let me say Lyric, being being the main lyricist excuse me so yeah so that I mean that that's some deep deep knowledge and it it, it pays off because it, it it definitely shows that he he knows about it but it, like like I said and you you reiterated my my understanding there is some definite subtlety because you can interpret lyrics any way you want, and that's what's great about songs, and that's the whole idea behind music. It's whatever the user or, or the listener feels and what it feels to them. But you know, knowing everything about Norse mythology and knowing everything about the, the dislike for, for Christianity, it, it's in there. There's some, there's some shots, that's for sure. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that he meant to do the shots that way, but there is definitely the subtlety that's in there. All right, so song number two, As Loki Falls. Now, this song is, uh, I got to say, when I first when I first heard it, I didn't grasp it right away, but then I, I, I let it play and I, I was kind of almost not paying attention to it. And I heard something. It kind of triggered something in me. And I go, that's very Iron Maiden-like. I'm like, there's a lot of hints of Iron Maiden in this song. And I'm like, you know what? Tribute to Iron Maiden because they absolutely positive that Iron Maiden was an influence. And... You can you can just hear it in certain aspects of this song throughout the entire song. Other than that, very cool song. One thing about it is it's really heavy with lead guitar work, which is not very common for the band. Uh, it the riff is amazing, and it's like I said before when we first started talking about this. A lot of their elements have always been uh, rhythm work. They're not very focused on lead work, but this song is a whole different story and it's really impressive what what they did here it's it's about loki's trickery uh he fools others into thinking he's defeated or he's you know he he's enacting his rage and there's a lot of build on who he is in this song which is great so there's there's a a lot going on here that's very likable it's it's like I said, it's a showcase of something a little different from the band, and it's very impressive. You know what, though? The song fades out. What's with that? <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm just messing. All right. <laughs> song number three, Father of the Wolf. All right. For me, very, very cool riff. I like this song a lot. Uh, it's a very cool story. And in the middle of the song, right after the bridge, it goes into a really, really cool harmony solo. Uh, and once again, 
it shows off the expertise of which this band can write songs in that style with harmony leads and harmony guitar playing. I mean, it's just, it, that is their thing, you know, better than almost anybody out there. Yeah, we're getting another song about Fenrir, which is always mm-hmm. welcome in my book. Um, it's to me, it's it's not as sludgy as as the previous song, which was uh, a beast am I. But what's really great about it is it's very very much more dynamic. So you're getting a different. If if you're following the storytelling, you're getting a different aspect of the character, not not the the plotting rage, but the the power of the character. And, and that's one thing I always am so interested in about this band is that they're tying it to these stories and the music fits the story so well. It never feels forced. It never feels like they're just plugging in a story into this this song or this riff that they, they wrote. It always meshes so well. And that's the, the, that's interesting to have two songs about the same character, but they're they're not the same and they don't have to be the same. Right, contrasting styles of, of, of the same genre of music is very cool. Mm-hmm. So I, like yourself, am a fan of the of the television show Vikings. Now, we, I do know that Vikings takes a lot of liberties as far as the storytelling is concerned and what's happened over the years. But when you when you talk about the, the brutality and the, the, the roughness of the music, Quite honestly, a modern Marth should be doing the soundtrack for the TV show because because that's just <laughs> it, it, it that when you listen to a modern Marth, you visualize the Viking way of life. You visualize the 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 Viking raids. You visualize the 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 brutality of that era of the world, and it, it, it's it's pretty pretty impressive if you ask mm-hmm. me. I like sure. it a lot. All right, so the next song we get to is Shapeshifter. And I guess kind of still coming off a little bit of that Iron Maiden-esque feel. They have a gallop to this song. And I like that a lot. It's a really cool gallop. The vocal melody goes right along with the gallop, which I think is really cool. And again, harmonies, harmonies, harmonies. It's just all over their music. Yeah, the song's uh, about Loki again. This is... the He's plotting this is him you know manipulating people by using his power of shape-shifting uh, he can turn into animals he can he can uh, influence other people by impersonating other people this is this is an element that's kind of carried into those marvel movies where you see him disguising himself as other people that's that's one of the hallmarks of the character is that he he will manipulate however possible and through through shape shifting, it's kind of a it's really deceit like ex- just expertly deceitful. So it's it's a it's a pretty cool song. It's not it's not necessarily one of my highlights on the album, but I, I do like it a lot. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I like the galloping riff on it. It's pretty cool. All right, uh, next song is the heavy under siege. Uh, I mean, that's a that's one heavy riff. It's a real headbanger. It's not one of these fast, fast-paced songs, but it's one of those where you could just really slam your head to something. I like that. And then again, in the middle of the song, Olavi and Johan show off those incredible harmony skills. I mean, it's just, it's again, it's just, 
it's a it's almost like a beating a dead horse, but it's a really good dead horse because it's it's harmonies. It's awesome. I don't know what else to say about that. But the song ends with a pretty cool, very pretty, peaceful guitar or clean guitar interlude. It's a very, very, very cool way to end that song. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a war hymn, so you're getting the, the stages of the war. So you're getting the very beginning, the preparation. You're getting the battle. You're getting the aftermath. So if you follow the story throughout the, the song, you're getting all the stages of, of an epic battle. Which it's that's what stands out to me. The song itself, like the the actual um, you know instrumentation, etc. It's nothing that that really you know comes out as like this the song of the album. But when you think about the lyrics and and how it's mixed together, again, this is this is the genius of the band. They mesh that so well, mm, yep. and it it to me when you once that clicks, once you hear both parts, not just the music but the lyrics, and they mesh, it's like oh wow, this is this is really well done. Yeah, it, it's there's something beyond the uniqueness of the Viking thing. It's they these guys are really masters at crafting these songs along with the stories along with the, the vocal stylings it's just it's, it's you know it's incredible to really to listen to when you think about oh, yeah. it all right so so, you, uh, so what were you gonna say i was gonna say well so, so you mentioned vikings mm-hmm. and the next song blood eagle is something that was seen in vikings yes and was, it's it is a brutal brutal execution that was mostly written in stories we're not sure if it ever actually really happened i find it hard to believe that it it never happened if because it was so documented in detail so i tend to believe that do you want to discuss how it was done oh yeah yeah i mean i'll i'll explain it i mean basically well let's talk about the song first here the song starts off with the sounds of someone getting a blood eagle now for those of you who don't know what a blood eagle is, it's first of all it's a it's a it's a it's a death ritual, and the the, the thing about it, we'll explain a little bit in a second. The thing about it is if you, when when you're you know you're gonna die, you're 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 pretty much toast at this point. So you have two choices, okay? Now, as as a person with honor and a Viking, okay, if you scream, you will not make it to Valhalla. They will not let you in. So you, if you accept the pain and you die with honor and silence, you get to go to Valhalla and you get to have dinner in the Great Hall alongside Odin. Well, Correct. it was usually enacted on somebody who who did an act of cowardice or uh, was was a betrayer to the cause or somebody in a, of a high position that. This was an act of vengeance, essentially. Right. Now, if anybody has seen the show Vikings, uh, Ragnar Lothbrok performed the Blood Eagle on the former king. I can't remember his name. Uh, the former king that he basically uh, defeated in battle. Am I, am I correct? No. No, 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 no. It was a different king. Not the one he defeated in battle, but uh, a different king that uh, he figured out was one of was but be- was betraying him. I think that yeah, was... yeah he was he was working for the guy, right? Um, and then and then they, yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, exactly. So, anyhow, essentially, 
they cut open your back, uh, two spots on your back, and they pull apart your ribs, and they take your lungs out and put them on your back, and it looks like wings, and that's why it's called Blood Eagle. Is there any more that you want to add to that? No, just, I mean, the song is really aggressive and it fits that vibe of vengeance so well it yeah i mean again this is another case of the band matching the music to the lyrics extremely well yes anthrax actually also did a song about blood eagles uh on their latest album for all kings uh they were they were Influenced that that for all kings was influenced a lot by Vikings and the the TV show Vikings and Game of Thrones, so mm. that tells you where they were at their headspace. But yeah, this song it, it's a it's a brutal song, but that's that's the the that's the, the the topic that's the you know the the story of that song is about a blood eagle, so it has to be brutal. Mm-hmm. So, but it's <clears throat> it's a very cool riff that's that that's played throughout the song. All right. So moving on, we get to song number seven, which is called We Shall Destroy. And that's another cool riff with a killer groove. What else do you have? To me, it's it's probably the weakest song on the album. I'll be 100% honest. It's, uh, it's another war song. It almost feels like a retread on what they did with Under Siege, but a lesser version. And to me, this is the low point on the, the album. Right, and, and even being a low point it's still a pretty cool riff <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know it, that tells you how 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 good their songwriting is we move on to song number eight which is hell All the right, place slow, not the person track. <laughs> oh, what's that i'll say the place not the person no it is the person it, it, it is the person in this one in this case yes okay because I, I know they were talking they, they were they were going back and forth with with that, I think in a, in a previous song on the on the last album. So. Well, well the, so, so a lot of times the the concepts that we have like hell, hell is you know a place where the the damned go when they when they die. Um, well, hell is the abode of the dead, but it's also the goddess that lives and rules over the the abode of the dead, who also happens to be the daughter of Loki. Uh, so what's, what's kind of cool about this song is you're getting the story, but you're also kind of hearing her voice through, uh, the singer or former singer of Candlemass, Messiah Markelin. So you get a duet of two voices. You get a growl and a, and a, and a, a strong woman's voice mixed together. And it's, it's a pretty cool track. Oh yeah. I think, I think it's a really cool track. I mean, it's a very cool story. In the way the way it comes along, and 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 the, in, the interweaving of the two voices is really cool because she has that that high high, and it's weird. It's, it's like a deep high pitch. It's not like one of these screaming high pitches. It's kind of like a deep high pitch. It's very very smooth. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song, you know, it's a it's a plotting song, but it's a it's a very cool. I mean, you got you, you got a guest singer on it. You know what else can you say? <laughs> It's almost like she's playing hell, right? Yeah, she's she's essentially playing the character in the song. Right. So, all right. So the pace picks up again on song number nine, "Coming of the Tide." Again, some more groovy riffs. It's a pretty straightforward song. Again, some more harmony solos. 
Uh, yeah, what... very very melodic, which is kind of tying back into those early songs on the album as Loki falls and then under siege. So you're getting you're getting uh, kind of evenly spaced elements that tie the album together, which I really like. So that brings us to the last song in the album, which is probably one of Amon Amon's most epic songs. It is the final song in the album, Warriors of the North. It is the longest song of all the songs that we've reviewed tonight. It clocks in uh, over eight minutes. There's a slight progressiveness to the, to the song. Um, there's even a little bit, to me, a hint of Metallica somewhere towards the right after the first half where they, they change some riffs around. They depart from the original concept of the, of, of the, of the song or the original riff of the song. Uh, but then they basically they, they turn it right back around and they go right back into the to their trademark harmony solos and, and f- end the song with, with their classic riffing. So yes, your assessment that it's an epic conclusion is 100%. This, this is a song that takes you through a journey. You're getting the battle of the, the, the frost giants with the, the uh, essentially the humans. I mean, it's, it's all this tension that's built up over time and has been escalated by Loki. You're seeing all this stuff happen. I mean, there, at one point, and it's been addressed in other albums where they've ma- they've made a truce. I think it was even addressed in that first song on on Surta Rising War of the Gods, where they decide that rather than destroying each other, they're going to to uh, keep this from happening because the they know the power of their people and they know how easily they can destroy each other. So it's it's kind of interesting how it ties into reality too a lot of these things because if it, you know we could easily destroy each other in our current society we have we have nuclear warheads we have the these abilities that that essentially in a way make us gods in in that we could determine the end of our own species and that's kind of the mindset here where these guys are very aware of their power and how much they could devastate their own existence through battle. But still, at the end, it, it, it leads to the same conclusion that it would, it started with. So it, it, I love the storytelling here. Again, it's a, a tribute and tip of the hat to, to Johan, the way he's able to, to weave these songs lyrically. It's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have, we've spoken about the two albums, Search Arising and Deceiver of the Gods from Amonamarth. I'm going to go, do you want to go first about this? And, and about how you which feel? Which one's our favorite? Yeah, which one, you're, which one are you picking as your favorite? Okay, so hands down for me, my favorite is Search Arising. And that's just because the storytelling is so solid from beginning to end, I don't feel like there's really low points or... I mean, there are there are low points, I guess, technically, but every low point on this album, to me, is better than what I hear on uh, Deceiver of the Gods. There's also... There's a tone difference between the two albums that I, I think that when Andy Sneap got involved, it became more similar to what I was hearing with other bands. And that kind of 
docked some points from for me. It's not like I'm saying that's a that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just they started to sound more like other bands, and we've talked about this before with Andy Sneap. Yes, um, that, that's so a, my rag on Andy. <laughs> yeah, to me the highlights on the album for sure are War of the Gods, Slaves of Fear, For Victory or Death, uh, Beast Am I. These songs are all really strong. I think there's there's more songs that I gravitate to on this album than the than the next, and then just that 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 story that goes all the way through from the beginning to end, which is is a bigger scope than usually they focus on with their albums, and it's done really well. So like like for instance, Twilight of Thunder God focuses on Thor uh, and his his story where he's one character, whereas this you know gives you a much larger view but does it really successfully and to me this is this is my favorite uh, Amon Amarth album okay well in my assessment i would have to completely disagree with you <laughs> and, and and not that you i don't think you're wrong in anything that you said for me my personal taste uh the seer of the gods is my is my choice as as the better album because of the the cinematic flair that it has, while Sir Rising is almost like a concept record, the Seer of the Gods not necessarily being a concept record. And the, I, I think the strong songs are really, really, really strong, and I like more of the stronger songs on this album than I do on Surtur. Almost to a to a degree where I feel it's almost more accessible. You know, to, to, to the average person, even though this is extreme music and it's not accessible to, to just, you know, to anybody, you kind of have to like it. But in that regards, I think it's more accessible. The the only knock I could sit there and say, yeah, is, is that is Andy's production, you know, had it leaves something to be desired. It's a good. That's it's weird. It's good production. But like you said, there, it, you've heard it before. The snare drum. Mm-hmm. Is and then and on this particular album, it's not as as dominant in as it is on like say Judas Priest or or except because it's played so fast. Andy Sneeps to me his biggest drawback is is the way he records drums and and specifically the snare drum. Um, but aside from that, I really 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 like Deceiver of the Gods a lot. Um, that's not to say it's my favorite. A Monomarth album, but for this battle, it's my my choice. Like I said, it's no slight to Deceiver of the Gods. It's a great album. It's one of my favorites from the band. There's some strong so, strong. There's some songs that I I feel are maybe even a little stronger than what's on Serta Rising. But I always look through the eye of the total album, and for me, the story's just stronger with Serta Rising. Although I love what everything that's going on with this album, so I mean, it's, it's yeah. like you know, it's 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 like one A one B. That's how close they are to me, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, all right. Well, I guess that means that's time for the big four. Who went last week? I believe you did. I'm not sure. All right. Well, why no. don't you uh, give us your big four first then? All right, I will do that. Like I said earlier in the episode, I am new, relatively new to Amon and Marth, but that doesn't mean I don't know a lot of their stuff. 
but I'm probably more familiar with the newer stuff than anything else. That being said, my number four song for Amon Amart's Big Four is Live for the Kill uh, off of the Twilight of the Thunder God album, and that song features Apocalyptica on it. So I think that's a really cool song. It is a good song. I like that one. So uh, number three, Deceiver of the Gods. I, I really like that song. The epicness is what really gets me about that song. It's just, I almost feel like I'm flying through the air at the beginning of that song in in the movie. You know, that's just the way it makes me feel. Maybe I'm like Icarus flying from the, you know, burning down from the sun and watching myself go down. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it, but it's, it. there's just, a, to me, there's such an epicness to that song and, and, the, and the cinematic feel. That's why I like it. It's my number three. Um, number two, Crack the Sky off of Berserker. It was one of the latest singles that they had um, before everything went sideways. It was released last year. Really cool album. Probably Amanomarth's most accessible album to date. I, I, I don't know if they're trying to reach an, a, a, a bigger, newer audience, but they definitely uh, had a little bit of a shift change. So what you were talking about earlier when there was from twilight of the thunder god to to search arising this was a drastic change from from jum's viking to berserker so and it shows so i like crack the sky though it's a pretty cool song and going back to berserker my number one song is fafner's gold i have to say this about fafner's gold that is either a blatant ripoff or an extremely cool tribute to Metallica because that is battery. The beginning of that song is battery hands down, just a monomoth version. And yet the song is still cool because even with, even, even though that intro is in there, like I said, it's probably just a tribute. The song itself is pretty cool. I like it. All right. Well, my number four that I'm starting with is going to be, uh, Pursuit of Vikings off of Fate of Norns. Um, something about that song just puts me right on a boat, you know, heading to pillage, and it's just exciting. I I I, I love that track. That was one of uh, one of my favorite Amon Amarth albums, probably number two or three. All right, so my number three is Twilight of the Thunder God, opening track off of the the album of the same name. It is just an awesome intro, and it features uh, Rope. I, I, I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. It might be Rope uh, Lotvala. Well, he, he played with uh, Children of Bottom and also Synergy. He's a great guitarist, and I just love that the, the, the chemistry they have there on that track. My number two is For Victory or Death, which I mentioned was one of my favorites from the band um i i just love this this riff the the intro is so cool the, I, like i said it's really strong with the tremolo picking it keeps it very exciting it's just it's an awesome track and my number one is off of deceiver of the gods which is as loki falls i that that opening that melodic opening to the song just took me aback because i'd been so so much a fan of the band since early early in their career and this was a new evolution for the band 
and to hear that and anytime you hear something different it can it can make you nervous because you've been a fan for so long and when they change the formula we all know you know tons of bands who've done this that it throws you off and you're you're worried if if you're going to be able to follow down the path they're going and for them to incorporate more of the guitar work here was was really impressive and i and i was very happy for the inclusion so definitely my number one i am a huge fan of this this song well like i said you know it had that to me i don't know if you if you feel the same way it has that iron maiden-esque-ness to it and i think that's what might make it a, a little more easy to digest for some fans because there's a familiarity to that song so i don't know that's just my theory <laughs> I I mean I can kind of see it. I've I've never really associated it that way. I, I I see it with the the little bit of the gallop in the the main riff of the tr- the song, but to me what what really stood out and made it just something that was so uh you know just it just grabbed me was that that the melodic guitar intro to the song that kind of re re uh appears throughout the whole track. Exactly, for sure, absolutely. Okay, well, that's our big four for this week. Chris, why don't you let them know what we're going to be talking about next week? All right, so we'll be back again next Friday as the future repeats today. It's episode 35, and it won't be just another ordinary story. We're going on a bullet ride to the good old days of In Flames with two of their best albums, Colony vs. Clayman. Don't face a coerced coexistence by missing the episode. That's only for the week. Escape another day in quicksand by giving us a listen, like, and subscribe every Friday. Well, you only have to subscribe the one time. Tell your brother, your sister, your grandma, and even the family turtle. Tune in and always turn it up to 11. Does the family turtle have iTunes? Let's hope so. Cool. See ya.